0: No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, I'm George Cup, And I'm Callum Gurr. And you're about to listen to the podcast version of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr. Please note that this is a podcast, so it's not a live broadcast. So please do not try to vote in any of the polls or send in messages to any of our discussions, as your message will not be registered, but you may still be charged.
1: Also, please note that not all of the opinions expressed in this podcast are our actual opinions, but may be expressed to create a better discussion. Anyway, enjoy the podcast and don't miss our live broadcast every Sunday on Wizard Radio Station. be discussed with Girl. My name is Kalinga and I'll be joined by my co-host Amplit. Co-
0: Will history view Change UK favourably? What one of the following do you think will be invented in the next 10 years and lastly, do you ever regret a decision you make with each of these discussions being accompanied by polls which you have the chance to vote on at wizardray forward slash listen and these discussions will be open between uh, until the end of the, the song break between each topic But first, last week, we asked you
1: guys to send in your opinions on the question, how do you think the Labour Party would have tackled the current coronavirus crisis? And we've had some really, really interesting opinions come in. So the first one's from Johnny. Johnny says, this is one of those really rare situations where I actually don't think there's anything they could, could or would have done that the Tories haven't done. I'm not even a conservative voter, but I cannot disagree with what Boris Johnson has been doing. They're given loads of money to try to keep the economy going as much as possible, opened up emergency hospitals, put in protective measures. I think the questions that Keir Starmer has been asking the Tories, like for their future plans and how long we're going to be in self-isolation for, are completely ridiculous. And there's no way you can expect a politician to answer those questions. So quite strong words there from Johnny George. Do, do you yeah. agree
0: with them? Um well, firstly, I think that it is hard for any government uh, to be dealing what we are currently dealing with. Um, and even though you could argue that I am rather biased in, in what the conservatives do um, in government, I, I do believe that in actual facts they have approached this quite well. Um, yes, there absolutely are criticisms that can be um, brought about and, and should rightly be said uh, by the the response that has gone about by the government. But at the same time, um, I think we the government have done the sensible thing. They, they have been given the right advice. They've been helping self-employed. They've been helping those that own businesses very well. Um, and I think that the approach has been a overall a positive one um and i think that if we look back at this in time yes hindsight is a beautiful thing but i think overall we will say that do you know what the conservative government didn't do too badly um i think that i can understand maybe where johnny's coming from with the questions that Kia starmer is asking but I will always say that I am someone that believes in a very strong opposition. Um, And I think for the first time in rather a long time, we are seeing that from Keir Starmer. Um, And of course, that of course, Keir Starmer will want to ask those questions that maybe necessarily can't really be answered by the government. But um, he needs to ask them because he is the opposition. He needs to challenge the government to make sure that he is holding them to account and that um, they aren't getting lazy on things and that having a, um, an exit strategy is, um, in, in the workings and it, and it is going on. So I think that even though the Keir Starmer maybe might be, uh, pushing the government a little bit too much in terms of making them actually give a definite answer of what the exit strategy would look like at this stage, um, At the same time, I think it is right to have a strong opposition like Keir Starmer is currently providing, especially at times of crisis like this. Callum, do you agree with that at all? Yeah, I
1: do agree with that. And actually, um, I was quite surprised to hear hear you saying that because obviously we've talked for a long time about. Um, The fact that we didn't think under Jeremy Corbyn, Labour were the most effective opposition in the world. And and I think it's really nice to see, George, that now we possibly, I mean, it's very early days, but possibly we're seeing the Labour Party in much more of a position to provide an effective opposition. But you as a Conservative actually kind of taking that on board and seeing where um, they're coming from. Um, In in terms of Johnny's opinion, I I mean, I I do agree in, in many ways because... Uh, I think, as, as George says, the situation that the government has faced has been unprecedented, and and it's it's been very very difficult. and And hindsight is a wonderful thing that tells us that yes, they probably could have taken different steps, and we wouldn't be facing the situation that we are currently. And um, but I think broadly, the Conservatives have have, have got it right. Um, I, I think on the question of of um, Keir Starmer's questions to to Boris Johnson. I I do disagree with Johnny in in saying that they're um, completely ridiculous questions. I I think, for one, I I think there's a misconception about what Keir Starmer's asked him. My understanding is that he's he's never asked for a concrete date in terms of when is self-isolation going to end, but he's asked for, well, initially he asked for the criteria in which an easing of lockdown would begin, and I think the government has now provided that. Um, And and now he's asking, um, and he's always consistently really, since he's been leader, been asking for more of a plan um, in terms of what measures we'll see lifted first, you know, is it the schools going back first, is it shops going back And, and things like that. And I think the government is working on that. But obviously, the job of the opposition is to to hold the government to account on that and the other thing that he's very much holding them to account on um is the figures in terms of the numbers of of deaths from coronavirus and number of cases particularly with regards to people in care homes um but also about um ppe the personal protective equipment um and and making sure that there's a proper supply of that for those that are on the front lines and, and i don't think that we can begrudge Keir starmer for asking those questions
0: personally no, I, I, I agree with what you're saying, Callum. Um, A very different approach uh, from our next opinion from Benjamin. And he says, ah, oh, this is a big question, isn't it? first of all i think if we had a labor government our NHS and police force wouldn't be in such a bad situation to begin with so the NHS would be able to handle a crisis much better we wouldn't be running out of ventilators and we would have done all of the checks the government uh, sorry all of the checks that governments need to do to make sure the country can actually survive a situation like this also i feel like this government has missed out on a lot of things like proper support for people who suffer from mental health challenges challenges, and things like that. This government has missed out a lot of gaps. Callum, your thoughts on that? Yeah, obviously, uh, much more critical there from Benjamin.
1: Um, and, and I agree in a certain way, in certain sense, um, kind of similar to to my last response in terms of, obviously, these questions about PPE um and the questions about the number of deaths in care homes and and things like that i think obviously there's much more that the conservatives could possibly do in terms of at least answering those questions and ensuring the proper supply um but i do do disagree as well with benjamin in terms of that the a labor government would have necessarily done all all of the checks that governments need to do to make sure that we're ready for a, a crisis like this i think the Bottom line is that we would we'll never be properly ready for a crisis like this, um, partly because it just came, not out of nowhere, obviously, but it came very unexpected um, to, to all of us. Some countries have dealt with it better than what we have done. I don't think anyone would disagree with that, um, but I don't think any country has, ha- has had the perfect approach. Um, and so on that basis, I don't think we could say with any certainty that a Labour government would have necessarily meant that we go into lockdown earlier, for example, which a lot of people um, are saying that is what we maybe should have done.
0: Um, George, what do you make of that opinion? Yeah, I, the first thing that I want to pick up on is is where um, Benjamin says about the checks and everything. And, and Callum, you make a very similar point of, of what I will make here. And it, it is that, you know, this, this government got the same information as a Labour government would have, um, and the the checks that that were taking place and the the, the systems and and evidence that were coming forward would have been exactly the same um, if if Labour were in government so i think it's it's maybe a little bit unfair to say that um labor would have carried out those checks sooner but and also at the same time for me personally and, and this is obviously um a conservative member um speaking is that it i maybe absolutely there is the argument there to say that the police force would be in a better situation and the nhs but um let's not forget that the NHS got the biggest cash boost in its history from the Conservatives. And also let's not forget that possi- the possibility of having all those police forces in place and maybe even more funding for the NHS might have actually put this country in a worse position in not able, uh, in not enabling us to support the those that need the financial support that we do, that need it today. So for example, um, because of um, austerity and maybe the cutbacks that we've had, um, the government's financial situation has been better, meaning that we have been able to in- ensure um, investment into our local businesses and supporting those that are self-employed. Um, and maybe we we, we would have struggled to see that kind of level of support from a Labour government. Or if we did, it would have meant more debt and more uh, damage to our economy if a Labour government had done this. Personally, for me, I think that um, to see less damage to an economy, I think it's better to have a conservative government in than a Labour government in, in in situations like this. Um, but I, I would I would definitely actually vouch for what Benjamin's saying in regards to mental health challenges. I think it is some, an area that the Conservatives have lacked on. They have got better on it in recent times, especially since Theresa May came in. Um, But I definitely think that the support for mental health and the awareness of mental health, especially during this time, could be more readily available. um, And the awareness of it could be um, at more of the front line in terms of adverts and, and making sure that we're reaching out to people that we care and love for.
1: Yeah, I I, I agree with you there. Uh, Just to get in our last opinion then, it's from Hannah. Hannah says, a Labour government would have flopped it. I think it's because the Conservative government (laughs) have been running the, the country for basically a decade now that they've been able to act so quickly because they know every area of the government. They've been able to design it the way they want to. And Boris has a huge mandate so they can do what they need to do without any division or anything like that. Imagine if this was the Labour Party, there would be infighting, people wouldn't be agreeing on what to do, and it would be a whole mess. George, as a a card-carrying
0: Conservative, do you agree with that? Well, I I think um, it is very hard to criticise, sorry, very easy to criticise the Labour Party um, from previous years. But um, it's... For me personally, I think, yes, Boris Johnson um, has got a very big majority and can get things through the House that he needs to get through if he wants to uh, make sure that things move forward. But at the same time, for me, um, and as much as I've said that we need a, a strong opposition, I think that it is times like this where the House of Commons has to come together and that more or less party politics has to be put to one side and that the whole of the House has to work together to ensure the whole country can get through this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think also um, there, there is a slight evidence as well that there's a, a slight divide within the government itself in terms of when to ease lockdown measures and things like that. I mean, obviously, it's not over overboiled or anything like that. But, but I think there is still at least murmurs that that, that is there. But remember, we'll be announcing what the question will be for you to send in your opinions on at the end of tonight's show. So make sure you're ready for that, for the chance to be featured in this segment of next week's show. We've reached time for the first song break of this evening, so we'll be back very soon.
0: Hello, and welcome back to To Be Discussed. So let's move on to our second discussion of this evening. And we're asking, will history view Change UK favourably? So the Independent Group for Change, also known as Change UK, was a centrist pro-European political party founded in February 2019 and dissolved 10 months later, shortly after all its MPs lost their seats in the 2019 uh, general election. Its principal policy was uh, to support for a second referendum on the European Union and the membership of that um, in which it would campaign to remain in the EU. On Economic issues, it expressed a commitment to the social market economy, um, and it was led at its dissolution by the former Conservative Party uh, Member of Parliament, Anna Sowbury. So, Callum, for so long, it's been a fight between two, sometimes three, main political parties in general elections, and Change UK came about aligning many MPs from different parties. So, do you think they will be remembered in a positive way? in the history books i, I mean to, to, i think
1: there's probably an argument to be made they won't really feature very much in the history books but uh, <laughs> without being too savage um but um in terms of do i think they will be viewed favorably i think probably undeservedly undeservedly they would be viewed negatively history books and I, I say that simply because in politics generally it's the the level in which you're seen favorably and seen to have been a success is based on whether or not you achieve your goals and let's not beat around the bush here change uk failed in most of their main goals um i mean kind of i, I guess the most ambitious um goal they had was probably to become a real challenger to labor maybe even um become the actual government and obviously they failed at that but on a really base level they they failed to get their mps re-elected as you say i mean as it was when it came to it they only stood free in the 2019 general election um and so that, so they failed on on that basis and, and so i think they won't be viewed favorably because of that however i would say as well though um that perhaps that's a little bit harsh, and we should consider firstly the fact that these people, um, these MPs in Change UK, they took an act of, and I, I hesitate to use the word courage because I think it waters down what courage actually is, but it was within the confines of politics quite a courageous move they took to um, to decide to leave their parties, leave the basic promise of being re-elected and and put their jobs on the line. Um, As it was, it turned out to be a gamble that failed. Um, But we we should, I think, look favourably upon the fact that they took that risk. Um, And and so I think on that basis, there's a bit of nuance to be had here, but, but I think overall, history probably won't view change uk favorably other than that they were a reasonably principled group of mps that decided to take action but ultimately um in politics she lived by the sword and died by the sword and 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 that's
0: what happened to them and um, w- what do you think george i think this is a, a definitely interesting one um and i as a member of the conservative party uh, someone that wanted Brexit um, and voted to leave the European Union, um, you could argue that it would maybe make sense for me to be very critical of Change UK um, and to say that they're going to be Uh, looked at unfavourably in the history books. I think as Callum rightly has pointed out when you you look at um, how successful a party is or an individual is um, within politics you look at their achievements and look at what their goals were and whether they actually achieved their goals it's very similar to how Callum and I recently judged um, Jeremy Corbyn and how we thought his approach was and how successful he was Um, and we both came to a very similar conclusion in saying that we don't believe that he would be seen particularly favourably because he didn't achieve the ultimate goal of becoming prime minister. Um, But at the same time with change UK, it was a time of complete uncertainty as a country. And I don't believe that at the time, the Labour party were giving much of an opposition um, for many of those that voted remain. And a lot of people I believe were Vouching for a party that were purely remain and absolutely, um, as I'm sure Callum will come in and argue once I finish my little uh, monologue here, that uh, the Lib Dems did stand on a platform of that. But at the same time, I think Change UK brought together those of the Conservative Party, those of the Labour Party, and you could argue those of the Liberal Democrats. Um, and being that centralist party, it possibly allowed. Those are that were conservative voters that voted remain to have a party to go to, to have a political home to attend. And for me, I don't think the Lib Dems were potentially um, opening that arm to the previous conservative voters that voted remain. Um, and I think Change UK did that for those people. Um, I am one for democracy, and I think that we should have as many parties as possible to express and to um, be able to bring to the argument all different viewpoints across the country. Um, And I think Change UK did that for a lot of people. They were a party committed to a second referendum. They were a party that wanted to leave the European Union sorry wanted to remain in the european union um and were, never never ever lied about that they were very transparent from day one about what they wanted to do and what they wanted to achieve I- as Callum said rightly as well, it is very, very brave for any person from a different political party to resign from their party and join a completely newly founded party um, like Change UK because they, they had no idea where it was going and what the party would be like as such. Um, and when it came to the general election, yes, none of their MPs got re-elected, um, but I think that's because of the voting system that we have in place and it, it's very critical on parties that have very many uh, very little members um and that aren't that high up in terms of vote share so and i actually take my hat off to anna Salbury for what she's done um or what she did do in politics she challenged the government in certain ways that didn't and she put pressure on the government that many other parties couldn't because she took members from the conservative party and the labor party um and made votes in the House very difficult for the Conservative Party to get things through. And also you could argue the Labour Party, some of the amendments that they brought out, brought through, Change UK would even vote against. Um, and, I, and I think it's very interesting to see um, because it's very rare we see a party that is able to bring together those that are from two different kinds of parties, like Labour and the Conservatives, and I think that fact alone should be why they should be seen as favourable in the the history books. Um, but one one big point for me that is always does always kind of sit uncomfortably with me is that none of them faced a the by election when they chose to um, stand or join the Change UK. So Callum. Do you think it was wrong of those MPs that decided to join Change UK not to face a by-election in their constituency because they didn't get elected on the uh, manifesto that they were now presenting to their constituents?
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something that truthfully, I, I don't have a concrete answer one way or the other. Um. I, I think that, that that there's definitely a case to be made. Of course, as you say, they didn't they didn't stand for that party, so therefore they should have. When they decided to cross the floor, they should possibly um, call a, a new election. Um, but but I do think at the same time, we vote for a person, not for a party. Ge- I mean, obviously, actually, how many people vote is generally based upon a party, but. Um, in in the actual raw voting terms, what we're voting for is the person to be an MP, um, and, and therefore you could make an argument um, that unless they've had a massive, complete change in terms of what their beliefs are um, after getting elected, that their electorate knew that this is the kind of person they're voting for. And possibly they knew there was a risk that they'd end up crossing the floor and joining a new party and and things like that. So, so I, I'm very much unsure as to whether or not we should say they have to have called um, a by-election, um, particularly because we know that even in by-elections, Um, It's always very much weighted in favour of the established parties rather than they would have absolutely no ground operation. So they did need that time. And I I think one of the reasons Change UK failed was because they didn't have enough time to build up a bit more of an operation and build up a party organisation that could then mean they'll get those votes and uh, and things like that. Um, What about you, George?
0: Yeah, I, I think that it, it, it's interesting you say about the, about the person. Um, I think sometimes I, there is definitely the, the, the element of the personal vote that goes into it. But at the same time, um, it is, as we saw with the last general election, a lot of the things that people vote for are a national policy. Um, or policies, um, because I'm sure a lot of the Labour people didn't vote for an MP, uh, a Conservative MP, because of the person they were, but more the fact that we promised to get Brexit done. Um, So I I definitely think it is an interesting one. And I do think that there should definitely be a uh, a law brought in by the government to suggest that if you were to change party, that there should be a by-election held. But really, really quickly, Callum, um, did you, as as a then Liberal Democrat voter and member, when Change UK came about, were you a bit worried about them taking away the vote from yourselves?
1: Yeah, I think um, definitely I was. I mean, th- there was a, lo- a widespread opinion really from a lot of media commentators that this was doomsday really for the Lib Dems when Change UK came about um but as it was it kind of the very fact that Lib Dems already existed probably is what ultimately doomed Change UK so but I I was worried at the time
0: yeah and how and how do you think this poll is going to go do you think people are going to say that Change UK will be favorable
1: um yes I think so 55% of people I think will say yes what about you I'm going to
0: say that 45% of people will say yes Um, but as always there is only one way to find out and that's for you guys to vote on this question will history review change UK favourably and you can that wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen and we'll be back after this hello and welcome back so before that break we asked the question will history view change uk favorably um and as you guys have been voting away the results have just come in so 32% of you said that yes they will be seen favorably and 68% of you said no they won't so callum um I was, I was kind of closest there, but it is interesting to see that, um, a lot of people obviously do rank the success of politicians in terms of, um, gaining their achievements.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, I mean, obviously I predicted the, kind of the other way round. Uh, so I am quite surprised by that, but yeah, I think you're definitely right, George. That's how obviously people view success. And I guess arguably that's how uh, I do as well in many ways. Um, Right then, time to move on to our third discussion of this evening, and we are asking what one of the following do you think will be invented in the next 10 years? So, at the moment, looking past the next few months seems inconceivable. The one question on everyone's lips is, when will lockdown end? Uh, But we want (laughs) to kind of move past that question and move past lockdown tonight and look to the future, more specifically to the future of technology. So, in the past, the invention of the wheel, steam engine, and the internet have been technological advancements that revolutionize the world but what will change tomorrow out of the following which do you think is most likely to be invented in the next 10 years the flexible smartphone flying electric cars affordable smart glasses or wireless electricity george what do you think
0: i think this is a really uh, interesting topic um because it it, it It's uh, it's funny how, you know, last week, I'm saying it's very hard for us to uh, tell the future. But here we are (laughs) saying about what we think the future will look like in uh, in the next 10 years in terms of technology. Um, It's it's strange, isn't it? Because if you if you are someone from, I don't know, possibly the 19th century, what you would look, what the 21st century would look like. I'm sure they would probably say that maybe our technical advantages advantages would be a lot further than they already are. I mean, I think it was around the 1920s or maybe the 1940s or 1960s when they said that we would have flying cars. And obviously, we don't really have flying cars. Um, We are just verging on getting a reliable, proper, good, decent electric car. Um, But even saying that, I think in the last 20 years, we've seen technology... um, advance at such, such amazing rates. Um, and that has meant that so many different things have been invented um, and so many different products have come into our lives that we now are very reliant upon um, and to us seem like everyday products. We don't actually kind of think about them as being new fancy things. We just think that, oh, actually, it's 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 an everyday thing. I mean, for example, iPhones, I think that a lot of iPhones, we Possibly, you could argue that some of the technology on them is actually quite old-fashioned now, because of the amount of things that are now being developed on new iPhones um, and new other phones as well, Samsung um, and lots of different um, phone brands as well. But I, I think, for me, out of the options that you've read, even though some of them are rather out there, let's say, <laughs> but I think that. Um, the flexible smartphone is something that is quite unique and and possibly something that we will see developed because at the moment smartphones seem to be getting bigger um and i mean i i've got my looking at my smartphone in my hand right now i th- i can't remember i think it's an iphone 8 plus or something i mean it's absolutely massive um and when it's in my pocket it, it is rather I don't know, obstructing, and um, it's rather obvious that it is on on oneself. And and I think that We if we see like flexible, flexible smartphones come in, then it would be so much easier to transport. We could have it. uh, It could be more secretive in what we're wearing. It wouldn't have to be so kind of clumsy, I suppose you could argue. Um, And I and I think the technology is definitely out there to have screens that are movable and to that can shape around what we want to put them on, um, whether it's our wrist or, or something like that. And I definitely think that the flexible smartphone will be something that will be developed developed kind of going a bit out there the thing that i would most like to see developed is definitely um probably the flying electric car i would absolutely love to uh, do that it it would make my trip up to london so much easier um if i could have my very own kind of flying parking space um at, at parliament that would be amazing but you know you never know one day um who knows? But Callum, what what are your thoughts? Do you do you think a, a, if any of these are going to be invented in the future? Uh, yeah, so I
1: think, I mean, flying electric cars. I mean, electric-wise, they're not quite there, but I mean, they have um, invented prototypes at least for flying cars. I think flying cars just will never become a, a thing, just because if we think about the the damage that drones have done or can do in terms of gra- ground in flights and and things like that imagine what flying cars could do um so so i think there's just no way they'd ever have any kind of mass um reach um electric cars where, where lots of people have got them um wireless electricity i mean obviously as i'd say it seems to be every week at the moment i'm no scientist i'm no engineer so i'm not really 100 percent sure but i just can't see wireless electricity in terms of replacing fiber optics and electric cables and things like that i just i, I can't see that happening obviously we do have wireless charges but that's that's very very different um, so then i think that leaves there's the other two, I think, are things that will be invented in the next 10 years, probably, um, because we've seen flexible smartphones are becoming something that companies are looking into. I mean, Samsung have got the Galaxy Z Flip, which is not quite a, a flexible smartphone in the way that you mean, but it does have a bit more um, maneuverability in terms of the screen. Um, And in terms of smart glasses, I mean, obviously, it's well documented how much um, VR is supposed to be the next kind of thing. And I suppose smart glasses are very much an extension of that. Um, But I do have a question to you about um, smart glasses, George. Um, And it's the reason why I think ultimately they probably won't catch on in the same way as the flexible smartphone will. And so I'll probably head towards that. But the question is that. My worry is that smart glasses will do damage to your eyes um, just because if you've got something so close to your eyes, surely that's going to do lots of damage. We're always told not to watch TV um, too close or even read too close um, to our eyes. So, So are you worried
0: with smart glasses that they will cause damage to people's eyes? Yeah, I, I definitely think there is that, that worry about those. I mean, right right now, um, during the radio show, I'm sitting with my standard glasses on um, that obviously help me see. And um, I have a tint on them. It's a green tint that protects my eyes from staring at my computer screen. Um, so I would be interested to know what kind of uh, visual uh, help would be put into place to ensure that the damage can't be done on whatever we're looking at on the smart um, glasses. And I think as well, the biggest challenge with smart glasses, I don't know if you agree, Callum, is that they could be a very big distraction if we're walking along, if you're driving, certain things like that. I think that they could be incredibly, incredibly challenging to um, yourself. If you were doing an activity and you you suddenly have a notification up on your, on your smart glasses, um, it it could be incredibly dangerous
1: yeah yeah no i i definitely agree with you There, i think the thing there's a worry that that they'd be dangerous and i think probably um it's probably a little bit too soon within 10 years to have smart glasses in the way i'm imagining them at least i suppose um but uh what what do you think is going to come out on top here? what do you think people are going to think will be invented in next 10 years
0: well I'm going to go with what they think is achievable rather than what people yeah. would like to see. So for me, I'm going to stick with what I originally said and say the flexible smartphone. What do you think, Adam?
1: Yeah, I agree. I think it's the only one probably that's that's actually achievable. So, But we, I guess we'll see in 10 years' time. Uh, but it's time for <laughs> you guys to vote away on this question. What one of the following do you think will be invented in the next 10 years? You can vote at wizardradio.co.uk for sassly and those options again are the flexible smartphone flying electric cars affordable smart glasses or wireless electricity and we'll be back very soon Hello and welcome back. So before the break, we asked what one of the following do you think will be invented in the next ten years, and you guys have been voting away. So thirty nine percent of you said wireless electricity would be, twenty three percent of you said the flexible smartphone, twenty one percent of you affordable smart glasses, and just seventeen percent of you said flying electric cars. So George, we were both wrong, and and um. Obviously, that, that's one that I said that I didn't think was even even possible. I mean, what, what do you make of that, George?
0: Yeah, I think it is interesting. Um, as I said during the break, and, and Callum correctly highlighted that, I should have said it during um, the actual, uh, when we were live, is that there is, <laughs> there is a company that is looking at how we can have wireless electricity um, and how we can supply it to households. Because I think, you know, we could get rid of pylons and everything like that. But I, I definitely think it is interesting to see the what possibility that it would look like to to have wireless electricity in the future. Um, But let's move on to our fourth discussion of this evening. And as I always say, the most important question is asked in the fourth discussion. And we're asking, do you ever regret a decision you make? So it is something a lot of people might say that hindsight is a beautiful thing. As sometimes when we do things, we might later say that we regret the decision that we have made. But Callum, Are you one to regret the choices that you have made?
1: I don't think I'd be human if I didn't regret at least some of my choices that I made. (laughs) Um, uh, uh, I I hesitate to give specific examples,
0: really. (laughs) No, please do. We're all friends here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I suppose, uh, I mean, this is quite a dull regret, I suppose, but but I think in some of my younger days, I was maybe a little bit too um, partisan, a bit too biased towards um, the Lib Dems and towards left-wing politics in general. Um, and obviously we say it an awful lot, but th- this show did kind of change that in many ways um, for me. Um, and I, I also regret um, where, again, along the lines of politics, but um, when it came to tim farron and the um talk during the 2017 general election about his um should we say in- inability to address the question of whether or not um uh, gay sex was a sin um i at the time was because of partisan bias i, I didn't Go in hard on that in the way I would have done if that had been a conservative or a labor politician who was in, unable to very categorically say, in, in my opinion, that gay sex is not a sin. Um, so, so I suppose I, I regret those kind of things, certainly, in, in terms of the, the the politics of it. Um, uh, George, what about you? I mean, you, sh- you surely uh, <laughs> this that sounds
0: like a dig, but but you yeah, do surely does, yeah. regret some of the decisions that you make. Um do you know what? I, I am someone that doesn't particularly like to say that I have regrets. I believe that I have made mistakes, but I don't wouldn't like to think that I regret the mistakes that I've made. For me, I think that they are more um, lessons to be learned. And and it's, it's kind of my mindset of trying to keep positive and, and to, to learn that yes, they are a mistake but you shouldn't regret making that because it's taught you something else and it's actually made you who you are today um so for me i i try and not go around the whole regret argument for for me though that in terms of having mistakes in the past i think definitely one of mine is that i didn't get involved in politics kind of in conservative politics soon enough um i believe that I could have been able to to get involved a lot sooner and and maybe made more of an impact in terms of getting younger support and youth support within the Conservative Party. Um, And I suppose maybe maybe some personal ones is 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 uh, maybe some mistakes in terms of uh, buying very expensive kind of cars and not saving money when <laughs> uh, I should have and maybe should have invested that in, in in certain other things. But there you go. They are mistakes that have made me learn that I should be a lot wiser with my money um, and that just because you've got a nice car doesn't mean that you're amazing, um, even though I still do believe that today. <laughs> and george um obviously
1: you you are now um into politics as you say you're working in <laughs> politics um but obviously your degree is a is a policing degree and so yeah. i think it'd be quite interesting obviously because a lot of our listeners will be probably people thinking about university rather than having already decided um, so, so, do you regret, in a way, maybe going to university or, or studying um, policing because of the career you ended up in?
0: I, I, as I, as I said in the introduction, hindsight is a beautiful thing, but for me, actually, in a weird way, policing. Um, A lot of the my things in degree in my degree has actually helped me in my political career um, because policing taught me certain elements about um, the psychology of 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 understanding people about how to be respectful to people, keeping your patience when the kind of it comes into fact when I'm debating people or making points, Um, and there are certain degrees of of my. Uh, degree, that in actual fact have helped me immensely in the career that I have today. And I and I kind of actually think that if I had a political degree, I wouldn't necessarily have been taught that because it's more about the theory of politics and things like that. Um, and I am someone that learns very easily on um, actual practical practical things and being able to do stuff. And and. By having a degree in politics, I think in a weird way, it would have actually put me off politics rather than going into it. So I'm actually very grateful for the degree that I did take. And yes, I didn't follow the career path that I once wanted to follow. But um, the degree that I took has taught me many things that have have become as a actual benefit in the job that I have today. But Callum, I, I will kind of spin that back to you. You did a degree um in history and politics and now you're doing a master's in journalism. Do you kind of wish that you would actually realize what you wanted to do earlier on and done a degree in journalism rather than having going getting a degree in something that no one really cares about and then <laughs> getting a (laughs) and then getting a master's in journalism
1: that's charming i mean but one half of that degree is your field now so i don't know what that (laughs) says about you um but uh realistically no i don't really regret doing history and politics at at uni i I maybe regret taking the history part of it because i think i should have taken anthropology and i've always stuck by that but it was only because i had done it in sick form And it was too late by that point really to, to change. But in terms of politics, it it very much applies a lot to, to journalism anyway. And I did at least at one point, and I'm not so sure I do now, but I did at least at one point, harbour ambitions of going into more like political journalism. um, And and therefore obviously having a politics degree is, is really helpful for that as well. Do you, do you not want to go into political journalism anymore? (laughs) Uh, it's something I, I'm still interested in, but I don't necessarily want to be like a lobby journalist, um, because I don't think they're necessarily always the most actually effective at um enacting any kind of real change and real accountability of politicians. Okay. And how do you think this vote's gonna go? Um I think that most people will regret a decision they make. So, I mean, I'll probably end up being wrong, but I I say 75% of people will say, yes, they do regret decisions. What about you?
0: Well, I'm going to hope that my argument of you shouldn't have regrets, but more learn from mistakes will... Uh, have made people vote a different way so i'm going to say 60 percent of people will say that yes they do regret decisions but as i always say there is only one way to find out and that is for you guys to vote on this question do you ever regret a decision you make so and you can do that at a radio.co.uk forward slash listen um and we'll be back after this Hello and welcome back. So before that break, we asked the question, do you ever regret a decision you make? And you guys have been voting away and the results are in. So 81% of you said that, yes, you do regret the decisions you make. And 19% of you said, no, you don't. Well, Callum, I my obviously my argument wasn't good enough. <laughs> well, George, um, liking a lot of things, I would say. Liking a lot of things. <laughs> Uh, uh, i can't wait until i get a show by myself um right okay so thanks for listening to to be discussed with Cuff and go we do really hope you've enjoyed this episode
1: so as mentioned earlier the first segment of next week's show we'd like you to send in your opinions on the question what is the first thing you do once lockdown is lifted you can send in those opinions by email to station at wizardradio.co.uk or through Twitter, that's at wizardradio. So remember that question is, what is the first thing you will do once lockdown is lifted? And we're looking forward to hearing those opinions next week. It is now time for George and I to say ciao for now. So I've been Callum Gerth.
0: And I've been George Cut. Remember everyone to stay positive, keep that mindset healthy. Uh, because this won't last forever but thanks very much for listening everybody we'll be back next week at the same time and the same place for another episode of to be discussed